What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Halftime Snacks podcast. This show features short interviews that you can listen during the halftime of your favorite sports events. Every Tuesday, I host fun conversations with talented people in the sports industry, where we'll learn from their stories, knowledge, and experiences. So go grab your favorite snack and come snack with us. Are you ready? Let's go. Today's guest of the Halftime Snacks features yet another absolute legend from the sports industry. Our guest background is packed with awesome experiences in diverse companies such as Walt Disney, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Philadelphia Flyers. Today, he's a partner at 76 Capital, a venture capital and private equity firm that invests in seed and early stage companies in diverse industries, including sports and technology. This man is an expert in investor relations, fundraising, and company investments, and I can guarantee this episode will be a massive one. Ladies and gents, Chad Stender. Ronan, thank you so much. Great to see you, my friend. Looking forward to having some fun today. Let's get it going. Good to see you too, Chad. How, how's it going? How are you doing, man? How are you today? Things are good. Enjoying the summer up here in the, in the Northeast. We're based right outside Philadelphia, uh, having a lot of fun with the kids. And um, there is so much exciting and amazing things going on in the sports world. And I can't wait to share everything with you. So again, thank you for having me on the show. That's super exciting to hear, man. Welcome to the Halftime Snacks. It's a super pleasure to have you here. Man, I want to kick off our conversation with an icebreaker. And I want to know what's your favorite sports memory. And I'm going to share mine while you think about yours. Mine is the goal of Didier Drogba at the UEFA Champions League final against Bayern Munich. Minute, I think it was minute like 87 or something. The game was already gone and he scored with his head. And man, I, I cannot stop remembering this memory. It's my favorite sports memory. What about yours? Sure. I, I was super, super blessed. I came home from school in, in third or fourth grade and, and my dad said, you know, change your clothes. We're going to Philadelphia. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. So about an hour from Philadelphia. And, and I said, where, where are we going? He said, unfortunately, my friend cannot use his ticket tonight. We're going to, back then was the Spectrum, which no longer exists for all of our Philadelphia fans. Everyone knows the Spectrum really well, but it was, it was that, uh, the main place in Philadelphia. And we ended up going to the Duke versus Kentucky NCAA basketball game that night. And had it not been for, for my dad's friend, unfortunately not being able to take the ticket. So not only was it an amazing moment and experience, For, for me and my dad and bonding and, and getting to go. I was about 10 years old, um, but we saw arguably one of the greatest moments in the history of NCAA basketball with Christian Leitner making the shot. Everyone knows of the shot. I was there, you're hugging, you know, I'm hugging my dad, I'm hugging strangers. And it, it was something that forever for, will be, you know, in my memory, I, I didn't sleep the rest of that night. I'm in school. I think it was, I think that was a Thursday and then Friday or it was a Friday and Saturday, but Um, you know, you're sharing all the memories with your friends and, and it was just the coolest thing ever. And uh, the fact that I got to do it with my dad made it all that more special. So that was by far one of the coolest sports events I've ever been to and, and sporting event moments. And, and that's the power of sport. That's the power that this industry brings to people and, and really can affect people's lives for the better. So it's so cool. 
A hundred percent, Chad. I feel like, you know, you remember the ones that caused you the biggest emotions. So I guess that for you, that, that mean, meant a lot between you and bonding with your, your, with your dad. So I guess that that's, that's, uh, that's awesome, man. Thanks so much for sharing. Yeah. Uh, let's kick off our, our, our conversation uh, with, you know, some, some of the stories, some of the, the things that you've been involved at. You've been in uh, private equity, VC funding for uh, a little bit over a decade. Uh, so, man, you're, you're one of the experienced ones. So let's, let's talk on how the industry of um, private equity, VC has evolved over time since you first joined. Uh, so how about you just can share with us couple of stories that depict the real change of how it was, how it is now, what has changed, what do you like better now that wasn't as good as before? So share, share with us a couple of stories. Sure. So, so I started in venture capital in 2012, so almost a decade now. And while I have, uh, you know, some amazing experience, um, our founder, Wayne Kimmel, started 76 Capital in 1999. So, so almost 22 years ago and, and getting to understand you know, his experiences and what he's seen through. Um, back when he started, early stage investing really wasn't in vogue. There were a lot less early stage investors. And then as I came in in 2012, by that point, it had really gotten saturated. And you look at certain instances. So Y Combinator started in 2005. You had AngelList and 500 startups, both starting in 2010. And, and kind of by 2012, 13, 14, it felt like everyone out there was an early stage investor. You had angel investors, you had individuals. It was crazy when you started looking at cap tables and, and what they look like. And I think it was very healthy for the ecosystem. I think from a venture capital standpoint, what I really felt and what I learned very quickly was you needed to have an incredibly strong brand to get the deals. So you had to be known for what you're investing in. You had to be a leader in the industry. And obviously you had to be able to identify and have the relationships with the entrepreneurs, because at that point you were competing. You were fighting for deals. The deals were getting priced to a level. Everyone talks about C became A, so on and so forth. A became B, right? These rounds got more expensive. And so for that same check size, you were getting less ownership. And what we were fortunate to do is I really was able to work with Wayne. And then we brought in our third partner, John Powell, 2014, 15, 16, And we identified our strengths, our relationships, our networks. And I think we identified one of the largest macro trends in investing. And we were one of the first to do so on the early stage side. And that was the overall sports industry. And I will say definitively today, sports is going to be the largest investable category over the next 10 years. It is truly ripe for disruption. I think we were early in the game. We followed some of the macro trends with sports betting in Europe, gaming in Asia, the value of these sports franchises in America, the power of the athlete. And, and so what we did is we launched our fund. We also became partners in a sports marketing agency. We started working with athletes and we don't do anything. We're a, a thousand miles an hour. We go all in. We knew we had it right and we were proving it out and we were able to do so. We launched our first sports focused only fund in 2017. And again, it's being known for what you're investing in, being able to access the deals. And to us, most importantly, I think we're a bunch of entrepreneurs. We, we happen to have our, our investor caps on most of the time, but we're a bunch of innovators, disruptors, entrepreneurs ourselves. And we saw an opportunity to really go at the sports industry. And so for us, the best part about getting to invest is getting to build together and work with our entrepreneurs 
And to me, that is the most rewarding and best part of the job. Um, and, and it's been really amazing the last four or five years. And, and we're, we feel like we're just getting going here, Rona. So 10 years ago, there was no sports types of uh, in like companies that were coming for you, to you guys were like, oh, yeah, so we're innovating in sports space. W was that so, like at all or not really? Not, not at all. There, there's always been innovation and, and, and disruption around sport. I just think from the investor side, there really hasn't been a targeted and focused venture and private equity the way you're starting to see it now. And I think in the later stage, you're, you're seeing much more of it. But on the early side, there are few of us. And everyone's asked us, what's your competition like? Who else is doing it? Right now, it's very collaborative. You know, you just had your past guest with Keith Bank, someone we're close with. You know, KB is one of the few outfits in America that's kind of in a similar space. I, I literally just emailed Keith last night at, at about 11 p.m. sharing an opportunity. So to me, it's, it's very collaborative. There's a lot of opportunity, but we invested in a company. We invested in Whistle Sports in 2000, I think 12 or 13, kind of right when I got going with 76 Capital. At the time, it was six employees there in the meatpacking district in New York. The other investors was Mia Hamm, Derek Jeter, Peyton Manning, right? The Gatorade Big Three, one of the founders came from Gatorade and us. And it was pre-market, pre-revenue, really pre-product, but they were going to disrupt the, the kids and the youth generation of sports content. And so that company, so we did make a, a sports investment, I would say back in 2012, 2013. And actually that company just exited this past year to 11 sports. And so a couple of things there, right? This, this takes time when you get in early, but I think people have been investing in sports. I think the idea to what I said about branding and being known for is becoming more vogue around, you know, what we're doing on the venture and private equity side. But again, this is early. I think we're just getting going and we want more involved because this is a large ecosystem and there's a lot of opportunity. What's the best investment that you've made? I mean, you've been you've been an investor in VC for uh, almost 10 years, but probably also a, a, a private investor for for the rest of your lifetime. So what what's the best investment that you ever made? What was something that you took a bet on and and were successful? So I'll give you I'll give you two. And the first one was, was an investment I made 12 or 13 years ago. And the answer is going to sound cheesy, but I truly mean it was, you know, getting to meet my wife, whom I met through sport. Right? We interned together at the Wells Fargo Center. So again, it's all about sports for me. Um, but getting to build our family together, we have two kids today, and really kind of building your own team was by far the best investment. And I always say, like, you're stupid for, for going with me, but I, but I thank my stars for it. So I know that's a little bit of a cheesy answer, but I, but I mean it. It's really valuable to have a strong base on the home front, which kind of allows me to go out and, and do this job to my fullest. And it's kind of a 24-7, you're always on, you're running hard constantly. And it's what I love. I'm passionate about it, what I do. I don't ever feel like, oh, I've got to go to the office today or I've got to do this. It's, of course, challenging at times and stressful, but I can say I absolutely love what I do. From the investment front, The investment that I'm kind of most passionate about um, really occurred. It started in, in the spring of 2019, and we invested right at the end of, of, of the year of 2019. We invested in a company called Line Library. But at the end of the day, what we really did is we backed the entrepreneur. We identified Sam Ratner as someone that truly understood the sports betting space, truly understood gaming, 
and thought in a way. We kind of dub him the Mark Zuckerberg of sports betting. And we had been going to all these conferences and all these events and seeing startups after startups, pitches after pitches. And it was one of those things. We sat down with Sam for an hour and we got up from the table and I looked at my business partner, Wayne, and I said, that's our guy. I don't know exactly if he knows what he's going to go do. I don't know. There, there's a lot of TBD here, but that is our guy. And, and that's what we do. We identify big opportunities. We back the entrepreneurs and we figure out how we can add value. And so we invested in 2019. I'll move the story along. Our first board meeting, we were at NBA All-Star Weekend in Chicago, where they're based out of. We sit down for the board meeting and Sam looks at me in the eye and says, we need to pivot here. And I said, oh, okay, what does that mean? We're going to become a sports book. And I said, you know what? Let's go. He explained why we gave the opportunities and we became Victory. And we launched and we went. And we were fortunate we got to bring in Scott Butera, who we made the introduction and, and they became business partners. Ultimately, that later that summer of 2020, we introduced them to their acquirer. Right. So we made the connection to Fubo and Fubo TV. It was an insane fall. I, I, I always try to stay even keel. Like people always ask the best advice as a venture capitalist, you got to try to maintain. You can't get too high or too low. And no matter how much I tell myself to maintain, it was a roller coaster ride. So many times we thought we were about to get acquired um, last fall. It didn't happen. We thought we might be going public via SPAC. Didn't happen. And then David Gandler, the CEO of, of Fubo, basically, they went public October 2020, told the street that they were going to get into gaming. And they were either going to innovate themselves or they were going to acquire. They went out and found a banker. And uh, Vigory was one of the targets. Obviously, incredibly biased. But I think it was the best choice. They, they found two of the most talented entrepreneurs in the space. And they're building together. They're going to be launching this fall first in Iowa. They just announced uh, Pennsylvania is going to be their fourth state they're going to have access in. And, and it's something that was amazing. It did happen quickly. It was about 13 months from investment to exit. And that's, that's not typical in our industry. Um, but I not only got the ups and downs, but I, I can honestly say I became deeply you know, good friends with Sam Ratner. I consider him a business partner, but also someone that, that I'm a good friend with and um, lucky to have that success. And it's been amazing for our investors and our venture fund. And uh, it, was a, it was a pretty incredible deal. Man, we're really lucky to be able to hear this story firsthand from you, Chad. Thank you also for sharing that. I feel like we're really getting the blueprint of the way you think, the way you, you've been strategizing investments and um, your whole career around finance and now, of course, sports. Um, so I want to ask you if there's any specific thing that you think, you think about, any thought that you have that is not really widely shared with people you work with or people in the, in the sports industry or, or maybe also people in, in finance, something contrarian, something that you think, you know, this is maybe the way and not everyone, everyone really believes it's the way of doing things, but you surely believe in it. And why do you think it's contrarian? Why do you believe in it? And where do you think it really is uh, taking that, thing that you're thinking about so maybe i'm getting too abstract here but let's just kick off with that thought that you have and maybe we'll we'll move we'll move along as as you tell us i think i know what you're going for here and, and 
from my seat, I'm, I'm at an interesting age, right? I, I just turned 40 last year. And so I'm commonly speaking with people that are kind of the generation above me, maybe in their 50s, 60s, 70s, but at the same time are employees. And, and I still have many conversation and I'm fortunate to get to mentor and work with what I consider the youth today late teens, early 20s, going to college, coming out of college, starting your careers. And it's this interesting spot where I'm, I'm too old to be hip and cool with the young ones. But at the same time, I feel like I'm finally at the place where I can sit, to, you know, stand toe to toe and, and have that conversation with anyone. And, and it's really interesting. And what I get to see from my seat is this amazing blend and convergence of sport, music, gaming and what I think is already happening. But again, when I sit and, and speak with anyone kind of the generation above me saying that gamers today are going to be the most popular athletes moving forward. And I, and I think really anyone under 30 is already kind of seeing this and experiencing this. And I don't know how contrarian that is, but when I make that comment and, you, and they look at me, anyone kind of older and they'll say, what do you, you mean like video game players? And I'm like, yes, you know, professional video game players or streamers, they don't have to be playing competitively, but they're entertainers, they're influencers, they have the social capital. I mean, the power of social media is incredible. I think LeBron is the most powerful person in the NBA today. I think what he did in free agency was incredible. I think he was more powerful than his team. And so what I think you're seeing today is kind of the equivalence gamers, musicians, artists, and athletes. And there's this amazing blend that's happening. And so I think moving forward, when you say your top 10 athletes, I think kind of this youth generation is just going to name gamers, artists. And, and in their minds, the word athlete is going to mean something very different. And, and so again, I, I, I'm already seeing this today. But I think this is, this is happening very quickly. I think it's incredibly exciting. I'm really looking forward to the, to the day when, when people talk about esports and they're not calling it, you know, the other sport, right? There's traditional sports and esports. Like, I think it's just going to become sports and the word is changing in the definition of an athlete. And thankfully, NIL is finally here. The NCA is going to figure it out or they're never going to figure it out. But finally, these athletes have an opportunity to monetize and to get paid what they should have been doing 20, 30, 40 years ago. I actually wrote a paper in college and it was 20 plus years ago about how athletes should be getting paid for their name, image and likeness. And, and so I think uh, it's an amazing time and I'm so excited to get to invest and disrupt today via 76 Capital on our investment thesis. Would you say that esports got more popular because of COVID or it wasn't really a catalyst that made it more present in people's lives? What, what do you think about that? I think esports going into the pandemic was amazingly popular. Almost a third of the world were gamers, identified as gamers. Over 200 colleges in the United States today, before the pandemic, were offering scholarship to be an esport athlete. I think what the pandemic did is it accelerated the industry. Unfortunately, we were stuck at home and everyone was binging TV, but they were also gaming. So no doubt did it accelerate the industry, but I think before the pandemic, specifically in the United States and North America, gaming had already taken off where there was almost a big 
organic attempt 10 years ago. And I think the last two, three, four years, there's no turning back. And again, I, I can't wait for the day where we just talk about sports and gaming as part of the conversation. And it's not a separate kind of traditional versus gaming. And uh, again, it, it's, it's so exciting and so much opportunity out there. I think it's super interesting because if, as you mentioned, athletes, well, musicians, entertainers, they're also athletes, you know, in their own sports. But this blend that they have with esports, you know, professional players joining, you know, live streams with, you know, DJs or, or musicians and playing, you know, Fortnite or League of Legends and just, just being there, you know, as athletes, but also in, in esports, entertaining. It's just, you know, this, this new blend of uh, entertainment, games, um, and streaming and I, I think it's super fascinating just to see it see it happening you know how uh, new new athletes are just getting more and more into gaming and of course they're not maybe as good as as let's say ninja or you know it's a kid that's very you know professional about it but it's just very 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 fun to see how it blends you know it's like how in the nba all-star you know weekend you had the the stars playing you know so you had musicians and you had you know Uh, famous people so i think that kind of like esports is also opening doors for that kind of mixing mix and matching you know between people from different industries and it makes up for great entertainment so i'd say that i'm really looking forward for uh what's what's going to happen in the in the e esports um sector of sports in the future chat you've been fundraising for a couple of years you you know how how it happens how it works What do you think are the key ingredients uh, for, for a successful uh, fundraise, three or four, that you can share with us here openly? Of course, this is not investment advice, but uh, if you can keep it as, as unbiased as possible, uh, we'll appreciate it. I think when it comes to fundraising, uh, we're constantly dealing with it, whether it's our portfolio companies, but the other side of the coin, at 76 Capital is a venture fund we fundraise as well. And, and I think people in industry and, and not just in industry, just in general, lose sight of that at times that you're, you're not going, you're not shaking the tree. You're not going to a pot of money that sits on the sidelines. You're fundraising as venture capitalists. And to me, fundraising, whether you're a company, venture capitalist, outside of venture and private equity, it's a sales process. And what drives success to me is creating interest urgency and being persistent and getting to a yes, but also being able to get to a no. And I think, unfortunately, we all live in the world where we'd rather be comfortable in the land of maybe, but it's the worst space to be in. And one of the things I love to say is you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And unfortunately, you have to sometimes drive to those no's to get to the yeses. You've got to be persistent and you've got to push, but you've got to create the momentum. And that's in any fundraise. And obviously, the more success you've had, the more prepared you are, the more you can anticipate, the more proactive. There is a lot of things that you can do to make it a successful fundraise, but really creating the urgency and having thick skin and being willing to push to get to hopefully the yes, but don't sit in the world of maybe. And I tell this to all of our entrepreneurs, do not sit there and just hope 
that one of these maybes is gonna to come to fruition. You've gotta to push to get to an answer because time is our most valuable commodity, right? The, the importance of the fundraise is to get the capital, but it's our use of time. We only have so many minutes in the day. And if you spend all your, all your energy in kind of this 80% of the land of maybe, you're wasting a lot of time and energy and you gotta get that, those maybes down to maybe from 80% to 50%. So then you can focus on driving to the yeses. And, and that to me is what we try to practice and preach and work with our companies and work with ourselves. Cause again, we're fundraising ourselves. Time is the most valuable commodity, man. I love that this time have, uh, having this conversation with you has been the most valuable commodity of, you know, of a long time, Chad, I've been enjoying these halftime snacks so much, um, that it has gone so fast and man, we've been learning so many things about you, your story, um, VC, private equity investments, um, the sports industry if there's any sport that you that you're a big fan that uh if if you'd get a a proposal for a new startup or new technology in that sport would 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 probably push you a little bit more to invest or to to look at it or do you have no press preferences when it comes to sport like what what is what is it that you think about when it comes to like the specific sport I think, really, I think it's a great question. I think that's, that can be a really big mistake. I think letting your, your bias and your passion for what you enjoy push towards an investment. So it's a little bit of a caveat here, right? If you can be incredibly valuable and add value to that investment and accelerate that company because of your background in the sport, that might make sense. But if you come out of the, the football world and all you're doing is focused on finding a deal, pushing to get to a deal, it might not always be the best strategy then underwriting. We underwrite all of our companies on at least a 10 times return, our investment criteria, and you have to stick to what you know and what you do best. And so you can't force deals again. Now, if it's kind of even to even, and if we have the experience in a certain sport category more so um, that, that will lead to a better investment for us. I'd say on the, the passionate side, I'm a soccer guy. I'm a, American football guy, um, or a, a football guy, excuse me. But um, at the end of the day, um, I'm most passionate about soccer. It's, it's what I grew up playing and, and it's what I enjoy the most. But from an investment criteria, I don't care if it's cricket, darts, gaming, soccer, we're going to make the best investment possible based on our thesis and criteria. Yeah, I guess it's it's a real challenge, you know, to keep your, you know, your emotions, your 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 preferences aside when you're when you're, you know, being presented new and different types of technologies for different sports, you know, uh, try not to judge them by what you prefer, what you like most, but mostly by what do you think really can disrupt the industry, right? I guess I mean, I, I'm not I'm not an investor, but I, I guess uh, I guess that's as part of it, um, would you say that there's any other challenge that you can share with us when it comes to investing in sports that you kind of like have to beware or have to uh, be careful when you when you do invest or when you don't or when you before you decide? Is there any other thing that you would suggest, you know, the new and up and coming uh, talent in, in the industry to pay attention to? I think it's like all all investment categories. There's a lot of moving pieces as the investor, you have to understand what your criteria is and what you're looking for. And, and because we get in early, we'll invest pre-seed, we'll invest almost with the founding team to kind of series A, we love to build. 
And for that, we take big chances for the big upside. And again, we underwrite everything for at least a 10 times return. And so you have to, you have to know what your thesis is, what you're focused on. And there's a lot of amazing entrepreneurs. There's a lot of focused startups, but in the sports space, there's also a lot of startups that in our opinion, do not have the go big opportunity for what we're looking for. Now that doesn't mean they're not going to be successful. It just means that, that it's not necessarily the right fit for us. And so you've got to be careful of it. You cannot properly underwrite it for what you need that you politely pass. And the beauty is because we get in early, we follow these entrepreneurs and we follow these companies. And a no today doesn't mean it's a no tomorrow. And we, I can give you plenty of example of, of an investment we've made that we said no initially, and we've been able to follow the growth and we still get them maybe at the seed round or maybe at the A round when we passed on kind of the, that initial capital raise around friends and family. Um, so again, it's, it's knowing who you are and knowing what you do best. I love it, man. I love it. It teaches a lot about a lot a life as well, not only about investment. You know, know yourself, know what fits you, know where you want to invest your time and, and money and go for it, man. If you're liking it, go for it. Why not? You know, and as you said, a no, a no now is not a no forever. So also think about, about things that have rejected you in the past and think that maybe in the future you you'll eventually get there um chat man it has been such a fun fun conversation i can't leave without asking you a more personal question man i want to ask you who's one person you admire and why i think the the one person that that i would love to sit down with is is president barack obama and I think historically, when we look back, and I'm not talking about five years from now, I'm talking about 50, 100 years from now, um, the economic downturn that he was handed, we were recession into a potential depression and, and just being the first African-American president, right? There was so much that he had to endure that it's gonna be pretty wild what the history books will tell. And, but by far, I think Barack Obama would be the, the person that, uh, that I would enjoy to get to spend any time with. That's amazing. So Barack, if you're listening to this, man, you got to <laughs> sit down with Chad for a dinner or another halftime snack, maybe. Um, but Chad, man, I want to thank you so much for coming to the show. It was an absolute pleasure to host you. Such an inspiring and uh, thoughtful lesson that you've, you've given to all of us today. I really appreciate it, man. Can't wait to see what's going to happen with you and 76 Capital in the future. I'm sure it's going to be pure success, man. So I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, man, thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy learning about the business and technology behind sports, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Tech Biz newsletter. I'll leave the link in the show notes. See you all next week. Bye-bye.